Good morning, Fox Valley Church. Uh, my name is Brad. For those who are visiting with us, I'm the worship pastor here as our senior pastor, Tom, is wrapping up his sabbatical over the next couple of weeks. I have the privilege uh, to preach God's Word, but I just have to say, that video was awesome. My wife made that. She does a great job. When you see Emily, encourage her. Yes. Did, did anybody see yourself in the video? Anybody? Okay, yeah, pretty fun, right? Uh, well, I am so, so excited. What a privilege uh, to preach God's Word. Over the past month, we've had Bill Reed, who just did an awesome job bringing us God's Word, and I know that I am of a lighter skin tone, but I, too, appreciate some back and forth. Uh, I think it's good for us. I think it's healthy. It's a reminder that we are all feasting at God's Word. This is not a concert that you're just watching. We are uh, together. There's a oneness in this, and as I was praying about this two-week series, because it's super short. I was like, God, what is it that you are laying on my heart uh, to bring forward to the body? And it was uh, very clearly this idea of the church, uh, uniting and equipping the church of God. And so the first week, there is going to be a heavy emphasis today on oneness, on being together, and how we can do that. And then next week, I'm going to focus more on spiritual gifts and what those look like in a church and how we can actually try to be pursuing those as the body of Christ. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, I want to bring into uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, the book of Ephesians is what we're going to be studying, and Ephesus was this extremely important uh, port city, and so people would travel across the Mediterranean Sea and come from all over the world uh, to make trades and do different things. It was uh, the home to Artemis, uh, the, the temple of Artemis, which was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world, and they had these temples and theaters and stadiums that was used really to give glory to a bunch of other gods. It was this Greco-Roman culture uh, that was infused really against Christianity, and there was this sense in the culture that uh, very much so prideful, that that was a good thing. In fact, if you had uh, pride and you boasted in yourself, that was seen as more of a virtue. And so that is what uh, this church was being surrounded by. Uh, Paul wrote this book in AD 62 or 62 AD. You see a little uh, timeline here. And basically, Paul wrote this in 62 AD, but 10 years prior, he had helped plant this church in Ephesus. And then you see there, a couple years after he planted the church, he was there for two years and three months preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And over a couple of years, you probably know this in your own life, you meet with God's people and years of, of praying together, of, of being under the Word together, of sharing lives and helping out with each other's kids and all these different things, and you grow close to the church, the family of God. And so Paul and the church at Ephesus grew close together. And we get an insight in uh, Paul's heart and his love and, and the church's love for him in Acts chapter 20, verse 36 to 38. So I want to read this with you. It says this, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
just reveals an insight on Paul's love and affection, right? He's not just telling uh, people in the church what to do. He has great love for them and care for them. They were doing life on life together. If you uh, have your Bible, go ahead and and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And while you do that, I want to let you know we're texting today. So one of the ways we try to engage uh, with you all, the body, is to enable or allow you to ask some questions. So we're going to have uh, some time, 10 to 15 minutes at the end of the service, to answer your questions. So text a number if anything uh, stirs you or you have a question, we, we will do our best and we'll dialogue in it. If you're able to stand, would you go ahead and do that? Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, uh, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, Father, you are almighty. Your hand is extended over everything, through everything, and in everything. Would we have confidence in that this morning? God, use uh, your sacred word, God, to do a mighty work in our hearts today. God, would, would we see the love of God manifested in Fox Valley Church through our oneness and our unity, God? And we pray that this message uh, would be a vessel at which you want to accomplish that, Lord. I pray that you would be the hero of the story this morning, God. Would you make less of me and much of you? In Jesus' name, all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, the main idea this morning is that we are to promote and preserve We are to promote and preserve unity in the family of God. We are to promote it and preserve it, unity in the family of God. In a world that is uh, very disunified, in a country that is disunified, in an evangelical church, uh, not necessarily Fox Valley, but the evangelical church in America, which is sometimes uh, disunified, how are we to promote and preserve unity in our spiritual family? I want us to first uh, look at verse 1, because Paul uses a transition here. He says, therefore, he says, therefore, it's like a hinge on a door, all right? It's like this side of the door is chapters 1 through 3, and, and he's telling uh, the, the, the body here at the church of Ephesus, this is what God's done for you, but it's a hinge, and therefore is transitioning into the next section. So chapters 1 through 3 is what God has done, and chapters 4 through 6 is how we are to live in light of that. So let's just be quickly reminded on what God has done. Uh, He's done this. He chose us before the world was created, chapter 1, verse 4. He predestined us to be his children and heirs of the kingdom. Uh, I just had a great conversation with a brother on Wednesday night. We talked about God choosing us, and what does that mean? And I said, I turned to this exact passage, and I said, listen, this is what Scripture says. He chose you. He predestined you before the world was created. That's so encouraging. Uh, Verse 7, he sent his only son to die for our sins. Uh, Verse 13, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 4, he made us alive spiritually. I just have to share, my family was here last week, and my sister said after the service, she goes, Brad, your church is alive. I was so encouraged by that, and it really blesses uh, people, Fox Valley. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, he gave us faith. He gave us faith. 
to believe. And uh, verse 10, he gave us a purpose. This is uh, what God has done, and we are now to live a certain way in light of that. Paul is giving us the right motivation. This is why you should do everything I'm about to tell you. He starts with the gospel. This is your motivation for doing what I'm about to tell you as you step into this next room, right, as the door has swung open. Because of everything I've told you and taught you, do these things. So he's going to tell us how we can promote and preserve unity in the family of God. And the first way is to walk with humility, is to walk with all humility, Paul says. I mentioned earlier that the uh, Greek culture did not practice humility. I mean, I alluded to it because they, they had a virtue and a sense of pride. And although the Greek language has so many words, and it had so many words, so way more than English, they really didn't have a word to actually capture humility. Not that we know it in the modern sense today. It actually meant uh, to, to depressing uh, it, it meant very lowly, um, totally negative connotations, this word. So if you practice this, you would have stuck out like a sore thumb, right? You would have uh, not probably uh, been praised or encouraged by it. Raise your hand. This is some participation. Raise your hand if you've ever struggled with humility. Okay. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, either you have two broken arms or we know <laughs> that you struggle with humility. Uh, we want to be recognized, right? We, we want our credit. We want things to be fair. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard. I, I, sh- I struggle with this element personally in my life because I shared this at a men's study we had in, in the James a couple weeks ago. But I, I shared that I feel like I have the corner market on what's fair. Like if there's a dispute, come to Brad. He'll tell you the corner market answer on what should happen. Almost like Moses was trying to settle everybody's disputes, right, uh, earlier. I, I think it's this sense of pride that, that, that I have that I, I know somehow objectively uh, what should be done. And maybe God has given me a gift there, but, but I don't want to use it for pride. And so Emily and I even have to navigate this. Man, I can be a pain in her side when, when I get in this uh, manner of, no, we have to give the facts truthfully. This has to be exactly correct. This has to be fair. And it's not always helpful. Let me just say, it's not always about being fair. It's not always about being right and wrong. It's about loving people. And I think sometimes we uh, lose track of that. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul quotes, or he says a verse that is often quoted, and, and, and we probably have all heard it, but it's this idea of, in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. I mean, that is a calling, right? In humility, consider others and consider their needs and consider them more significant. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he has something to say about this. James says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In a sense, what this verse is saying, that if you are more focused on winning an argument than you are about caring for that person, in that situation, you are making an enemy of God. He is now on the opposing team. Uh, That is humbling to me. That makes me want to just let go of my pride and fall in line on God's team. That's a scary thought, right? In in marriage, I think about this often. Am am I trying to win an argument? Am I trying to be right? Or am I just trying to be humble? And right, God's going to, um, 
He's, he gives grace to the humble. That's what James says. And then I think in verse 7, we don't often think about this in context with humility. I find these verses are typically totally separated. Uh, verse 6 you hear about and verse 7 you hear about, but there's a connection because he goes on to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James is making a connection between humility and resisting Satan. And I don't know this for sure, but what I think James is saying is that the people that are humble, people that are humble only care about exalting Christ, not themselves. And what does Satan do to try to appeal and deceive you? He just pokes at that desire to be about you, to win. It's pride. What does he do in the Garden of Eden? You can be like God. God's trying to prevent you from knowing more about him. What does he do to Jesus when he's in the wilderness? He takes him up high on this mountain. He looks up over everything and says, you can have all of this if you bow down to me. Satan is trying to get us to feel a sense of pride, of self-worth outside of what God has done and who God is. And this is a dangerous thing, church, and I think uh, humility is a way for us to resist Satan. I don't think those points are often put together. And, and Jesus displayed this perfectly, didn't he? And that's what Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He goes on to describe Jesus having humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death. Jesus being humble <clears throat> in humility to the point of death. We are all about Jesus at Fox Valley Church, and if you have uh, never submitted your life under the lordship of Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, the Bible makes it really, really clear on what it means to go to heaven. It is about believing that Jesus came down to this earth as God and man and lived a perfect life, a perfect sinless life, and died on the cross for your sin, my sin, past present, and future. And then he conquered death and rose again. And if you uh, confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. I want to encourage you to do that this morning if you have not. I know we have people here every Sunday who have never trusted Christ. It's the best uh, decision you could make to yield yourself uh, to God. Paul goes on uh, to say another way we can promote and preserve unity in the family of God is to walk with gentleness as I was reflecting on this, I, I thought it was kind of funny because I, no man really wants to be called gentle, you know? I mean, there's a lot of things that I would like to be called, and maybe you can resonate, a, a strong guy, a good communicator, a passionate worshiper, a loving husband, a good leader, but Brad, he's such a gentle guy, you know? I just, I don't know, it just doesn't really do it for me. And, and as I was reflecting on why, it's because there's this misunderstanding about what gentleness actually is. And where the Greek word comes from is very similar to meekness, and it's this idea of strength under control. And so you have this picture of a horse, this very powerful, strong animal that is yielding itself and submitting to its rider. And so for us as Christians, what this means is you can be a strong dude or a strong woman, but you are submitting and yielding to God, saying, you control my destiny, you control the outcome of my life, I'm living for you. I think a lot of the women want strong men. Amen, ladies? Or sorry, gentlemen. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So guys, join me in trying to, to do that. It's a good virtue. One application for this is to forgive someone who's hurt you. And now you may be wondering, how is that connection there? 
forgiving someone is saying, even if they don't deserve it, I'm going to yield myself to what God tells me to do throughout Scripture, right? Especially later in Ephesians chapter 4, he says it. He says it in Colossians, forgive as you have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. He even goes on to, I mean, Jesus goes on to tell this uh, story of a man who is forgiven this enormous debt, but then goes and oppresses the person who owed him money and says, this is what we do when we don't forgive someone else. God has forgiven us in Christ, and we hold on and harbor something else. It's one way to just show strength that's yielding to the Spirit of God. A third way that Paul talks about walking and showing and promoting and preserving the unity is to, with patience, walk with patience, bearing with one another in love. Another word for patience is long-suffering. Long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. This is really, really hard. In fact, the Greek word for bear is really to endure difficulty. It's to endure something unpleasant or difficult, and we're called to do it. Our natural human instinct is to avoid all difficulty. <laughs> it's to do everything we can, right? To move our family to a safe neighborhood, to get in a good school district, to help give them a good education, and avoid all uh, conflict and worldly issues as we possibly can. That's the American dream. And yet, did God display that? Or did God actually step down from perfection and come and dwell among His very imperfect people, bearing with us in love? I think there's two primary ways that this gets practically worked out, and the first is through coming around and bearing with the family of God during challenging, difficult seasons. Fox Valley Church, you are good at this. You are very good at this. When someone has a loved one that passes away, you go over to their house, and you have the ministry of presence, and you sit with them, and you pray for them, and you bring them meals, and you do things. And Fox Valley has just, you have done an amazing job at caring for people. My family, I see it in life groups, a few years ago, uh, one of our elders, Adam, shared about how when he and his wife were in the hospital, like people came, life groups came, the church came. That kind of stuff happens all the time. That, that's one way we bear with one another. But there's another way too. The other way is through difficult people, right? Through tension, dealing with one another when we have disagreements. How am I to bear with a Packers fan, Right? How do I put up with a Packers fan who's had a quarterback for like 25, 30 years? I'm jealous, right? How do I bear with them in love? Maybe on a more serious note, if you struggle with infertility and you see uh, people and families growing, how do you bear with one another? How do you consider each other and vice versa? <clears throat> As a family of God, how do we deal with people who frustrate us? Because in any other arena of life outside of church, what do we do? See you later, right? <laughs> Unless I have to interact with you, I'm not going to. But we're not called to do that. I've, I've joked about this. I, I love it. Uh, I think it's hilarious. Uh, but I, I call these people something. I give them a name. Those difficult people out there, you know, every, everybody has a couple in their life. But I call them EGRs, right? Extra grace required. Extra grace required. People who just, you need to give an extra amount of grace because they drive you nuts. And I think if we're honest, like all of us to some degree 
can, we all can be an EGR. We have these seasons or these struggles, a lack of sleep, or for whatever reason, uh, we, we need grace. We're the EGR. So let's not just put that on other people. But how do we deal with people that have different opinions, sports, politics, parenting? How do, how do we love one another? How do, how do we bear with them? You know, things uh, in the family of God, right, things will inevitably go wrong. Situations will be painful. We're people, we're sinners. Things will go wrong. But If my wife was here, I think she would have dominated that. I think she would have said it loud. Yeah, you know, seriously, though, I have a good butt for you. I have a really good butt, okay? Here's my butt. Uh, but God is going to take the brokenness in that situation. He's going to repurpose it, right? He's going to repurpose it to bring all things together for His glory. Don't you love that our God takes brokenness and just makes beauty from it, right? Beauty from ashes. I've seen situations in church where it seems like a marriage could never work out, and God takes infidelity, damage, mistrust, and just reignites with the power of the Holy Spirit, only He could do it, and into a flourishing marriage. And I just want to suggest that, hear this, hear this, because this is experiential for me. Maybe God is using that challenging EGR person to be an agent to initiate change in your own heart. I can testify. Through difficult people and not running away, God is changing my heart. He's sanctifying me as I bear with someone else. That's just different. And as they probably bear with me, I'm sure I'm not easy. The word for love here, bearing with one another in love, it's agape. It's an unselfish love. It's love that exists without getting. How do you do with that, <laughs> right? I mean, who can say, ah, my love is, is fully given and I don't expect anything in return? I had a life group leader years ago say, there's no pure motive since the fall, right? There's always something that we're trying to get or receive out of it. But how can we try our best to model agape love? Doing something and not expecting a response, not expecting a thank you. Just doing it because you love them and you're, it's an outworking of your faith. And Jesus talks about that, a very popular passage in John 13. He says, people are just going to look at you and how you love them and how you love other people and that's how they're going to know that you serve Jesus, right? Because of the way that you love one another. I don't know if I've mentioned this yet, but, oh, I did mention it, the texting. I just want to encourage you to text. If, if anything comes to mind as, as we're going about this, we really want to engage in some conversations. I, I have a, a pondering question for you to ask yourself. Here it is. Do I lovingly endure difficulty with church family? Do I lovingly endure difficulty with church family? Uh, one action step is to ask someone, ask someone to, uh, how do I uh, do this? How do I demonstrate these qualities? Find a, a spouse or a parent or a child and say, how do I do this? And accept their answer. Don't argue, just accept it, right? Action step two, if you want to give it, uh, you need to first receive it. I was in my mess, I was practicing this or I was just dwelling in the text on Friday morning. Yeah, Friday morning. And God, he spoke to me about, like, Brad, how do you expect my church, Fox Valley Church, to do these things if they're not first receiving them from me? 
And so as I was just pondering what this actually meant, this sentence just very clearly came to me, and I put it on a slide. If you want to demonstrate these qualities to the family of God, you need to be first receiving it from the person of God. If you want to have humility demonstrated in your life and in our church family, and you want to have patience bearing with one another, and you want to have gentleness, you need to be receiving Jesus' heart right, who's lowly and gentle, and Jesus' love being filled up by that. Read chapters 1 through 3 for more motivation in Ephesians, right? That's what Paul's trying to remind us of what God has done for us. And Paul goes on to say, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain. I can be eager about a lot of things. I don't think I'm often eager to maintain unity and oneness and peace? Where is that on our priority, an eagerness to promote and preserve unity in church family? And notice that it says maintain. That means you're not initiating it. God is initiating it. We just keep it. God has started the unity by His Spirit. Charles Spurgeon gives us some insight about unity. I love Charles Spurgeon. He's one of the heroes of my faith. He says this, we want unity in the truth of God through the Spirit of God. This let us seek after. Let us live near to Christ. I love that. Let us live near to Christ, for this is the best way of promoting unity. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love to the Savior. Divisions will happen because we're broken people, right? But Spurgeon is saying, he's suggesting they are not going to start with people who are full of the Savior's love. Are you full of the love of Jesus? Are you full of God's love? Not just in knowledge. That's an important piece. There are historical facts about what God has done demonstrating His love. (laughs) But God demonstrates His love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is historical evidence. That's knowledge. That's important. But there's also needs to be an experience and a feeling of God's love. That's important. And sometimes we try to separate that. You have these churches that are all about feelings and emotions, and they're very wary about these other churches who are all about knowledge but don't want to touch feelings. That's, that, that's not the heart of God. I, I think God wants us to experience Him. In fact, uh, the word exalt in Scripture, when you see it with an A, it's about understanding who God is. But when you see it with a U, what that actually means is to uh, have affection with the position of God. And God wants us. He calls us to exalt in Him. In order to give it, you need to receive it. That kind of got added in my message on Friday, but I think it's an important piece. We need to be getting these things from God. I'm going to bring you into my heart real quick because this is something over the past three months that God has been teaching me. It's related to to what I just said. And it's this, that God is more concerned with me resting in Him than He is about me accomplishing things for Him. God has been teaching me, really as Pastor Tom has been on a sabbatical, God, through some study, and I've shared this with some leaders, but God is less concerned with what I accomplish, even in the name of Christ, and He's more concerned that I find rest and intimacy with Him. I think leaders can be so passionate in the name of Christ to accomplish great things, see people saved and revivals, and yet they lose the very person of God that they're actually promoting. And so that's what God's been teaching me in ministry. He's, he's way more concerned about me just spending time on my knees with Him than He cares about me getting up here and preaching or um, building new ministries, all these different things. 
Promoting and preserving unity is not easy. We need to fill ourselves with God's love. And Paul then goes on in verses 4 and 6 to focus on oneness that we're to have as Christians. And I'm going to get a little theological here and just go through it pretty quickly. So follow along. He tells us there's one body and one spirit. What he's saying here is why we are to do this is because you are one body and one spirit as a church. Just as a physical person has a spirit that animates them, So the body of Christ has the Holy Spirit that helps us and equips us for ministry, that enlivens us. And then he says, one hope. We don't have different hopes of the outcome of our faith. In this room, if you've trusted Christ, we all share the exact same hope. One day we will be with God forever. We will be with loved ones and heroes of the faith who've trusted Christ, and we will worship Him in perfection. That is our hope. That's our hope. One hope eternal life, perfect glory, God unveiled, right? Verse 6, he says, one Lord. He's referring to Jesus Christ. One Lord. We all have one Savior. The only way to the Father is through me. That's Jesus' claim. That makes a big wedge from all other religions in the world. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, one faith, This refers to our doctrinal truths, what we believe, this holy word, this scripture. We have one faith, the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's our denomination, and I love our denomination. In fact, uh, Julian and I are pursuing ordination, and it's not an easy process, but I like that. I like that they make it hard, that they really want you to understand doctrinal truths. And and one of the things I love about it is we have 10 uh, elements to the statement of faith, 10 uh, different points We are going to major on the majors. These are issues we will die for because they're salvation level issues. There's other issues that we can discuss in iron, sharp, and iron, but these things we'll go to the grave for, and that's what the free church stands on, one faith. And then he says, one baptism. This most likely means the baptism of all believers into one body, right? As we are regenerated by the work of God, we have the Holy Spirit, and we all have the same spirit. And then he says, lastly, one God and Father of all. And there's three actions to it. Overall, through all, and in all. I said it earlier, God is almighty. That word almighty means his hand is in everything. So whatever situation you're going through in your life, God is in it. God is in it. He's going to work through it. You may not see the eternal weight of glory that God is purposing for you in that moment, but God is in it. He's a father who is involved, and he's sovereign, he's almighty, and he's got a plan for us as his church. Another pondering question, am I championing unity at Fox Valley Church? Am I championing unity at Fox Valley Church? An action step, confess your shortcomings to one another. All of us can own up to something where we haven't done a good job. Confess to one person this week. Today, do it today because you'll forget. Confess to one person, your spouse, a friend. Maybe you need to go and forgive somebody. I've not been promoting unity in our life group, in our ministry. I've done things to promote disunity, and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And unite around those seven ones, right? Paul says seven ones to emphasize uh, this oneness. Many of you probably know about what happened at Asbury College over you know, a few weeks span, just a couple weeks back, and uh, 
Some people called it a revival or a movement of God, and only God will know all that happened in people's hearts, right? But people are testifying to healing and testifying to salvation in Christ and testifying to uniting around one another. And I just wanted to share uh, this quick clip that kind of brings us into some unity. So check this out. But then beyond that, something that's, like, I think extremely incredible is I know this campus very well. It's small. We're less about, I guess, 2,000 students. And I know exactly which people on this campus hate each other. And those are the people that I have seen praying together, singing together, hugging, crying. Like, I myself have had a list of least favorite people at this school, and I have spent the week with them. And it's been, like, totally life-changing. The world is watching, right? The world is watching us. And Kate brought us into this beautifully earlier in the service. In John 17, verses 21 and 22, uh, Jesus is praying for us. I love that we have a Savior who prays for us. It's such an intimate thing. And He's praying for us, and He's praying that we would be one. Fox Valley, He's praying that you and I, we would be one together. And you know what His reason for asking for that is? so that people would know that the Father sent the Son. What that means is our oneness, our unity, promoting and preserving it, right? Not starting it, God started it, but promoting and preserving it. Our unity is a primary way that God wants to reveal Jesus Christ to the world. Wow. That's a priority. And we need to be running to Jesus to get filled up, but we also need to be running to one another confessing these things, doing these things, and doing our best to humbly, gently, patiently bear with one another and do these things for the unity of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Um, Father, God, we can't do these, admit to you this week and do these things. God, would you look at Fox Valley Church and say, they are one. My people are wrapped around the lordship of Jesus Christ. People that are different from different nations and tongues, one and therefore Christ is exalted. God, would you help us do that? In this time of texting, Father, I I pray that you would be made much of. Uh, Father, that this would not be about having right answers, that this would not be uh, about being perfect. God, would you uh, speak uh, through me in a humble way, God, and and Kate as well. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is Kate here? Let's go ahead and welcome Kate. Can you give her a a little hand here as she comes up? Uh, We are going to engage with some texting. Man, Pastor Tom is a master at this. Like, I look at how he handled, I'm like, this guy's so good. So, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But let's, yeah. Do we got some questions? We do. And you can feel free to continue sending them in. I'll be checking them as we go. Um, But Brad, I was curious um, if you, if we could start with, you were sharing as you were speaking that before, you know, before anything else, we have to be receiving from God. Um, And I was curious if you could share with us a little bit more about that. What does that look like practically, and how can we bring that into our lives? Pass. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So how, how to practically feel Jesus' love? Like how to practically be getting that from God so we can give it to others? Yeah. I mean, that's hard. It might look different because we're different people, the first thing that comes to my mind is just be in God's word, right? Let this, do not let this uh, book of the law depart from your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be in God's word and read about what God's done for you. 
I mean, you can read, I think it's in Ephesians 1, yeah, um, where it talks about, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened. And he talks about that we are God's inheritance. You are God's treasure. That's scripture. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing thought. So just meditating on these passages. Read Romans 5. I quoted verse 8 earlier. God demonstrates his love in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. But read uh, the whole entire chapter, but I believe it's in verse 5. It talks about that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That is experiential. Given a little backing, scripture backing to what I said earlier about knowledge and, and feelings and experience, that is, is both. When you read verse 8, that's history, right, of what God's done, and you read verse 5, how is that? That's a charismatic action that God, through the Holy Spirit, is pouring out His love into our hearts. I mean, meditate on that, and, and know it's God doing it. So no, no matter what situation you're in, and even if you struggle, maybe you have a disposition through medical things, or I'm not a psychologist, but, but it's God who does it. God can do it with anybody. And so I would just say, ask God. God, I, I'm asking you to do what you've already promised that you would do. You'd pour your love into my heart. Spend time with God, right? Jesus, Jesus got away. He was very busy. He was preaching. He was healing. I think we would say those, those are pretty important uh, jobs that he was doing. And what did he do? He got away to spend time alone with God. Don't be so arrogant that you think you don't have time to step away and spend time with God. That's what, something that I was thinking about, too, if you don't mind me saying, like, um, that he paused what he was working on to be alone. And mm. I think that there's, that is something that I've kind of been sitting with recently of, am I too busy to step away and be alone with God in these moments and receive from him? And I, it's, a, it's a choice that I have to make of, I'm going to step away. But if Jesus did it, I will do it, too. So, um, That's good. Okay, I'm curious if we can talk about humility, my favorite thing to talk about for a bit. Um, Someone sent in, so, uh, so much of Christian culture lifts up celebrity pastors, authors, and musicians. And so how can we promote humility in the church in this context? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a stab at it from a personal standpoint, what I do. I, we have a little room where we gather back as a worship team, but I, I come out here before the service to pray for people. And for me, it's a reminder that this is about serving the body. It's not about me coming on stage. So I personally do it through praying for people and through being a part of the body rather than a culture of just stepping out. And I hope no matter how big of a church or whatever God has planned for Fox Valley, I mean, church, keep me accountable to that. I don't just want to make an appearance and leave. And so that's how I personally um, try, try to do that. Um, I, I do think we would all agree there's some point where a church is too big. <laughs> Maybe some people would argue when it hits 30,000. Some people would argue when it hits 1,000. I don't know the magic number there, but I, I do think there comes a point where it's like, how are we reaching other people? And are we trying to just keep building and doing more things here? Or are we going to go out and do more things out there? And I, I think if we're not careful, we can cross that line. And so I know Pastor Tom and I have conversations about that. What are we going to do to, you know, prevent some of those things from happening? Sure, sure. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm curious if you can share a bit about what, uh, or what are a few agents of disunity that you've seen in the church or that you uh, believe could be present in the church? Hmm. Well, an easy answer would be to just the opposite of those three things I said to walk in, right? That Paul tells us humility and gentleness and bearing with one another in love. If you do the opposite of those things, it's going to create disunity. Um, 
anger. You know, uh, in Ephesians, is it Ephesians 4, verse 27, maybe? Uh, it talks about do not go to sleep, you know? And, and yeah, do not go to sleep or don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then the next verse, it says something about giving the devil a foothold. There's something about keeping our anger that gives Satan a foothold. And speaking of Satan, I think he wants to bring disunity. I think that's a big one. If, if he can't win us over to the losing team, if he can't snatch us from the Father's hand, he is going to try to make us as uh, dumb and lame and sitting here doing no effective ministry as possible. He's going to have us argue about the color of the carpet in the multi-purpose room, right? Uh, rather than actually considering other people. And so, yeah, Satan. And, you know, there's one other thing, and this may be a hot take, but I'll preface it with how I feel. This is how I feel. I feel that trust should be given, not earned. And it's exhausting trying to earn someone's trust. And where's the grace in that? Uh, I know people have been hurt, and I want to be sensitive and empathetic to those who maybe have a disposition to not trust because of abuse or something that's happened in their life. But I think, well, I know trust is the foundation of any healthy relationship. It's the foundation. And when you don't have it, how do you build? How, how do you have a oneness? Uh, people that are mistrusting create division in churches. And, and, and when a, a someone, a leader, a life shepherd, a ministry leader, a pastor inevitably does make a mistake, we will, I will, where's the grace? I'm not perfect, right? I, I don't want to spend years trying to convince you that I actually have a heart to care for you, that God's actually called me to this. That's exhausting. And um, so anyway, I don't know. That's great. Um, so this question came in a few times, and it's a bit of a bigger question. Uh, but if there has been continual hurt, we're, we're kind of moving to forgiveness. You spoke about forgiveness a bit. Um, how do you forgive someone who continually offends or who's continually hurting you? How do you forgive or how do you find unity? The questions were all about how do you forget, forgive, right? It's like the, the EGRs that you were talking about. How yeah. do we take I, it either way? Yeah. yeah, well, how is you recognize your own sin? You ha- if you don't see your own level of stink, uh, you're not going to want to forgive other people. In fact, what God did for you wasn't that big of a deal because you only needed saving a little bit, right? You, you were 25 miles completed in the marathon. You just needed him to come in the last mile to help you out. If you don't really see the depth of your sin, you're going to struggle forgiving other people. So I would just say people that struggle to forgive probably need to do a better job seeing their own sin. Um, that, that's one thought. But I think the unity, that becomes more difficult because there are some relationships that are abusive. Like if you're in an abusive relationship, you just need to make sure you're safe, right? And, and don't, I mean, I, I, that would not be my counsel. You need to maintain unity and oneness, right? In, in that scenario, maybe maintaining unity is to leave. Um, there's other relationships that are emotionally exhausting that you probably need boundaries with, healthy boundaries. I would say that's a really good thing. But I would say this, and I mentioned this earlier in my message, the Bible is pointing us to work through hard things. And we have an instinct in our flesh to move away from every challenging, hurtful situation that comes up in our life. That's not what God did. The incarnation is scripture proof that God came in our mess. We need to be in other people's mess. And that, I think, a lot of times is the agent that will initiate the sanctification, the change in Christ-likeness in our own hearts is by bearing with those difficult people 
so much of Scripture talks about doing that. If there's anything worthy of praise, if there's anything pure, dwell on these things. Think about these things. Assume the best in people. You know, I think about what Jesus talks about divorce in Matthew 19, what God uh, instituted, let no man separate. When at all possible, right? And that's what Paul says in Philippians 2. If at all possible, maintain the unity. Consider other people. I, you know, I just think Scripture points us to work through the hard. Yeah, and something, Brad, that you have encouraged me to do, which I really appreciated and, and taken to heart, is praying for those people. Hmm. Praying for the people who are especially hard for me. And I'm pretty yep. crabby about it initially. When Brad told me that, I did not take that the best. I'll be honest, because I, I was hurt, and I didn't want to be praying for those people. Um, but it's something that has, it, it helps soften your heart towards hmm. them. And when you're praying for them and devoted to praying for them and, and uh, just so caring about their well-being, right, when you're praying for them. Yes, so, so good. Okay, you did address this a bit, but I do want um, just, just to clarify a little bit. Is there a time when you believe that bearing with one another is not an option anymore? And you did touch on this a little bit in your mm-hmm. last question. Yeah. I'm, I, yes, I think there is, you know, but if it's at all possible, that's what scripture says, if it's at all possible, um, consider others more significant than yourselves. But yeah, there is a time. I mean, when it's abusive, um, yeah, I, th- I think you have to look out for your health of your own well-being and your family and different things. But I, th- I think that's more of the rare case. I mean, I, I do think the majority of the time we need to lean in and, and deal with these difficult things. But yeah, certainly if there's something significant and talk to someone about it, talk to a pastor, talk to an elder, talk to someone in your life that's a mentor, like, hey, here's what's going on. Would you speak into this? Let, let God's people uh, weigh in and help. That's great. Uh, maybe we'll do one more here. Um, what, okay, so if we, if we are working to forgive someone and there's conflict or there's a, there's a continual struggle and the person is thinking, you know, I maybe need to have a conversation with this person or I need to say something um, and have more of a conflict resolution conversation, um, how, do you, how do you know when or how to do that? And what advice would you give for going into those situations? Okay, so a person that maybe is, is struggling with the timing of when to do it yes. and how to do it. Okay, yeah, phone a friend. Can I phone a friend? I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> that'd be funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you need to ask yourself a set of questions. That's what I would do. Um, what are the advantages or disadvantages of talking to this person today or tomorrow when it comes to a timing standpoint? Uh, a very wise man named Tom Atchison uh, once uh, told me, not once, he's told me a couple times, and I've used this too, but to have, there's a set of three questions that are really helpful. And one is, does it need to be said? Does whatever I'm bothered by need to be said at all? Or do I just need to extend grace? I struggle with that one, right? And the whole fairness thing, I, it needs to be called out. I'll forgive you, but just so you know, what you did was wrong, but I got you, we're good. Um, <laughs> terrible, right? So, uh, does it need to be said at all? And probably oftentimes the answer is no, more so than we want it to be. The second question is, does it need to be said right now when your wife's changing a dirty diaper? No, right? Um, And then uh, the last question is, does it need to be said by me? And sometimes we insert ourselves. I think a lot of times parents or grandparents can do this. 
insert yourself? Am I really the person that God is calling to do this? And there's been times with Emily where I've said something, it didn't really connect. Someone said the same thing like six months later, and she's like, Brad, this is so good. Listen to what this person said. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I told you that. You know what I mean? But God was going to use someone else. And so that doesn't answer it totally, but um, those three questions would be good. And, and then just to know, like, I think we know in our gut, are we being lazy about this? Like, we don't actually want to have the conversation? Or am I actually being patient waiting to have the conversation? I feel a very different feeling in, in my core uh, when those two things are at play. So I think um, let's not be lazy to engage in discussion, but let's be patient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably all we have time for, but that was fun, Kate. That was really fun doing this with you. And uh, I want to invite you to stand. I just want to say a blessing, a prayer as we close this morning. Um, Father, I, I pray that as we go about, uh, we would have conversations. God, as we leave here, it, the conversation of unity and oneness would not end. It would continue. Would we do some of these action steps, uh, Father, this week, even in the cafe, in the car ride home, God, will we practice some of these things to honor you and glorify Jesus Christ? And we pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great week. As you leave, remember that Jesus changes everything.